0: Hello, I'm Nika Harper. This story is called Cocaine and Painkillers, from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Cocaine and Painkillers, by David Malky. At 9 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, the parking lot in front of Jack Bogg Enterprises was somehow already full. Kelly didn't quite know what to do. It had never happened before, not once in the year that she'd been working for JBE. Especially troubling was that her favorite spot, right in front of the planter, the only spot in the office park guaranteed to be in the shade at 6 p.m., was taken by some cruddy old Volvo. But three circuits of the lot only served to make her late, so she sighed, pulled around to the other side of the long metal building, and reluctantly parked by the O-ring wholesaler. She doubted she'd be leaving work before sunset anyway, if the last six weeks were any indication. A wave of heat rolled over her as she pushed open the driver's door. Today was a summer scorcher, and knowing big spender Jack, he'd have an oscillating fan going in his office while everyone else broiled like breakfast sausage. She checked her makeup in the mirror, grabbed her computer bag, gathered her courage, and went for it. After three minutes crossing asphalt that threatened to melt her from shoes up, Kelly pushed through the door with the white vinyl letters and gasped. It was cold in here. Against all odds, Jack was actually running the air conditioning. A breeze from the vent ruffled her hair, and she blew a loose strand away from her face. She didn't even know the office had air conditioning. The next thing that struck her was the noise. Ringing phones, voices chattering. She glanced over at the phone bank as she walked to her cubicle and was surprised to find two extra folding tables crammed into the corner of the room, manned by a dozen unfamiliar faces, haltingly reading from scripts and tapping into computers that hadn't been there when she'd left at 2 o'clock Saturday morning. Something was going on. Something big. Great news! Jack grabbed her from behind, sweeping her up into a powerful hug. His sweaty bulk pressed into her, his round face over her shoulder glowing red with the exertion of walking around the corner. Kelly gently extricated herself and slipped into her best professional good morning face, turning to face him, but he was five feet away now, pacing in a tight circle, his eyes darting like bumblebees, flitting around and then landing on Kelly for long, uncomfortable seconds. Fatted out is huge, huge, so huge I can't even tell you. You did great, babe, great, look at this place. His sweeping gesture included the new bank of computers, the chattering kids, the cold wind blasting musty odors through long dormant ductwork, even the two bright fluorescent lights that were making Kelly's head hurt already. She'd slept through most of the weekend plus Monday trying to recover from this place. It was clear her body didn't want to be back. Jack grabbed her wrist and headed off down the hallway, Kelly stumbling to keep her balance. Whole new phone response staff, he explained. Orders are through the roof. We made back our airtime costs in 80% of markets within six hours of broadcast. It's a whole new era for JBE, and it's all thanks to Fat It Out. Her computer bag slipped from her shoulder as Jack pulled her into his office. She snagged the strap with an inch to spare. Fat It Out was Jack Bog Enterprise's latest premium offering to the direct response television market. The product, essentially a skillet with a spit valve, was fighting fiercely for attention in a crowded field of similar junky crap that seemed to exist solely so that third tier cable channels wouldn't go completely off air when everyone stopped watching at one in the morning. And apparently it was winning that fight, for the moment at least. Jack sifted through papers on his desk, pulling one from a pile and shoving it at Kelly. Look at these numbers. She couldn't make heads or tails of it, but got the gist when he grabbed her shoulders and shook her like she was in an earthquake. This is record setting, Kel. Record setting. Ron Popiel never saw numbers like this. George Foreman would shit a brick if he saw numbers like this. Sounds pretty good, she managed through the quaking, turning away from Jack to grab his file cabinet for balance. She held fast to the squarish metal, wary of aftershocks. Pretty good? He grabbed his chest and sank into a creaky leather chair, sweating through his shirt. He looked like he was going to have a heart attack right there on the spot. Kel, you're killing me with this pretty good. This is the sort of response that you normally have to hone over time. You have to run focus groups and market research. You have to massage price points and premiums and giveaways and market after market, trying to find that perfect balance. You remember Admazing? We couldn't give that piece of crap away. He shook his head with a rueful sigh. I can't explain it, Kel. To do this right, it's like landing a jumbo jet. It doesn't just happen, but somehow you did it. People want this thing. It's selling everywhere now. Sunday morning, I had to call China in a panic. Locked out, those guys work seven days. Not like this country. Those guys don't go to church. I'm their church, the American businessman. She stood there, not quite sure how to react, afraid that maybe he'd jump out of the chair and grab her again. It was the sort of thing he did all the time. Jack Bogg was a tactile individual, always placing a hand on her shoulder, or tapping her on the head when he walked by her cubicle, or doling out high fives at random times, then claiming she'd been way off-center, and insisting on doing it over and over until they'd achieved the perfect synergistic clap. But he was her boss, and he paid her well, and he'd apparently done a great job mentoring her for her first campaign to be such a super slam dunk. The least she could do was be professional. She used to wonder if Jack misrepresented her polite friendliness as flirtation. She had long ago stopped wondering. He was hardcore in love with her, she was pretty sure. So what happens now, she asked. What happens? We rake in the dough is what happens, he said, kicking a stack of papers off his desk to make room for his feet. Kelly stared at the worn soles of his shoes and wondered if perhaps she should have taken today off as well. But seriously, Jack said, suddenly swinging his feet back down to the floor and assuming a serious tone. You did a really great job on the fatted out campaign. I know I give you a bit of a hard time along the way, your first big DRTV campaign and all. But in the end, I bit my tongue and I trusted you and you broke out of the box with some great new ideas. You deserve every bit of this success. Thank you, (laughs) Kelly said, feeling momentarily bad for cursing his name every waking moment for the last six weeks straight. With that settled, he said, breaking into a huge sweaty grin, now we put the patented Kelly Craig brain to work on the next big JBE blockbuster. From beneath his desk, he produced a cardboard box plastered with custom forms and shipping labels. Flicking styrofoam dust from his fingers, he handed Kelly a red plastic device about the size of a shoebox, covered in smudgy fingerprints and basking in a distinctive Tupperware smell. I got this on a hot tip from one of my sources overseas, he said. He's thinking big, talking about a Pan-Asia launch next month, and he was going to pass up North America completely. Got no distributors out here. Then he heard about Fatted Out, and I get an email asking if we can match that day and date domestically. I said, of course, and had him send me a demo unit right away. He shrugged. It's a tall order, but it's a big opportunity. We're going to the next level, and I know you can knock it dead. The red device had no name, no branding, no cheap, colorful decal. An unplugged cord trailed out the rear, a power switch was the only button. She turned it over in her hands. And the front, a darkened LED was inset next to a hole about the size and apparent depth of a lipstick. Beneath them both was a thin slit edged with tiny plastic teeth. She frowned, what is it? I'll admit the details are sketchy, Jack said. English is not this guy's main language, maybe not even in his top five, but here's what I've got so far. He gestured to her to come around to this side of the desk. He could have turned his computer monitor around, but she knew he wanted her near him, hovering at his side, maybe brushing his shoulder. She held her collar closed as she leaned over. From his email, he opened a photo of a big metal machine, wheeled base, dials, and gauges galore. It looked like a drill press or something from a metalworking shop. This is basically that, Jack said, pointing to a red device in Kelly's hands. Some brainiacs made this big monster in the medical market, tried to sell it at trade shows for a hundred grand a unit. It's some kind of blood analysis thing, checks your sugar, your cholesterol, all these diseases, all these battery of tests. It's got a computer chip, it gives you instant results for everything. No more waiting for lab results. He shrugged, flicking a sideways glance to Kelly's shirt, then up to her face. They built the prototype, but couldn't find the cash to go to market. Kelly walked back around the desk. No kidding, it's huge. That would take a ton of capital. Then the guy died, Jack said. Lead guy, scientist guy, up and died. Plane crash, boom. So our client, this investor friend of mine, bought out one of the patents. This plastic piece of junk can't be the same as that whole big thing, Kelly said. Nobody will believe that, no matter how fancy your graphics. No, no, let me finish. Now, as I understand it, the big thing is mostly one-stop shopping for tests already available separately. You can get a blood sugar thing at the drugstore. You can get cholesterol at the, whatever, the doctor's office, I guess. But the patent my guy bought was specifically for something called a C-18 algorithm, some little circuit board in the middle, some new discovery. So he says anyway, who knows? My guy put that piece in a red box and voila. He pronounced it voila. He thinks it's gonna go big. He's got half a million units on the assembly line already. Chinese versions, English versions, Japanese, Spanish, all of them. Kelly put the red device back on Jack's desk. So what's the pitch? What does it do? Sing, dance, change the baby? She fished in her computer bag for her notebook and jotted down proprietary C-18 algorithm. Jack shrugged. That's the thing, I'm not totally sure. Like I said, my guy's got trouble with the language. As far as I can figure out, it's a drug tester. Prints out a little slip of paper that says pot or whatever. It really is a good business-to-business business angle. There's a lot you can do with it. She made rapid notes. It's literally a blood test, or you pee in the little hole, because I don't have to tell you unless it comes with the funnel to half the audience. That's a real tough sell. A second later, she regretted putting the image in his mind. He seemed to take a full five seconds to recollect himself before heaving a deep breath, blinking a few times, and picking up the device. You stick your finger in there. There's a little needle inside that takes a blood sample and prints in like 10 seconds. His hands were quaking and the device rattled. With the previous version, the big clunky one, they tried to go the whole healthcare route. I'll forward this email to you. They had some Chicago ad agency involved, whole direct-to-trade promo campaign with a bunch of ball doctors in lab coats yapping away about this and that, blah, blah, blah. Soft sell crapola. Jack was fond of pointing out the differences between traditional, more restrained methods of marketing and intensive half-hour blocks of full-volume paid programming. His methods sold more products over the phone, for one. Doctors see right through stage testimonial, Kelly said. Point of pride when they do. Jack nodded. Screw them. Our folks are the working folks, just giving them a break from all that Hollywood, Madison Avenue BS. No one with a medical degree is buying fatted out, You know? You know? He laughed. Oh, speaking of fatted out, I got some choice letters from doctors. It's starting already. Here, let me read you this. It's okay, she said quickly. If people were complaining about fatted out, she didn't want to hear about it. It would make killing herself for months on that campaign harder to justify. You sure? It's hilarious. They take it so seriously. But hey. He knocked on the drug tester's red plastic shell. At least this is pretty straightforward. Finger in, paper out. Idiot proof. You can use that if you want. What do you think? Is idiot too harsh? They got those dummies' books. I'll come up with a few concepts, she said. I'll have scripts for you this week. He waved the offer away with a thick hand. Run with it, he said. I trust you. You can take this, yeah? Because I got skillets to ship. Kelly shrugged. Whatever you need. He smiled. You're the star of the show now, babe. She named it the Pronto Tester, and within a few days she'd filled an outline with glowing ad copy hyperbole. The infomercial would have to be pretty elaborate if they wanted to hit Jack's sales expectations. In addition to the usual stage presentation, they'd have to shoot some testimonials, meaning they'd have to get some people to actually use the product. That meant orchestrating trial events, recruiting participants, working through the whole process of weeding out non-fetogenic faces and people who couldn't string a sentence together on camera. They'd have to get trial units shipped in from China. Plus, because of the needles, they'd need to have a whole health and safety inspection. Kelly felt her fingertips beginning to shake this was going to be a big job, and Jack wanted it to air when? Within a month? Come on, superstar, she muttered to herself. That's non-superstar thinking. Get to work. She tapped at her laptop, writing snippets of dialogue for the presenters and then erasing them, letting her fingers bounce on the keys, whittling key-selling words out of phrases and concepts. Patented detection control mechanism. The proprietary C-18 algorithm delivers instant results. One poke finds one toke. She deleted the last one immediately wasn't all gold. The next thing to do, she decided, was to test it out. She called in Julio, the company's AV guy, editor, cameraman, and all-around technical whiz. They probably wouldn't use any footage of the initial test of the infomercial, but she learned to shoot everything just in case. Besides, she spent hours upon hours in the editing bay with Julio working on Fatted Out and enjoyed his companionship. He was the anti-jack, low-key and calm, and didn't take his job too seriously. After all, it wasn't his money on the line. She had the college kids take short breaks from manning the phones to sign waivers and get their fingers pricked on JBE's standing set. She was expecting the test to unearth a few potheads, maybe one kid on something harder. She had to repeatedly promise that these test results wouldn't affect their jobs. Besides, they'd reshoot everything later, with auditioned participants and makeup and applause and everything. For now, she just wanted to make sure the thing worked. It didn't. It pricked fingers and spat out pieces of paper, but none of it made any sense. Most of the test results weren't drug-related at all, and the few that were, alcohol and morphine, were lacking the level of detail she expected a drug tester to provide. In the rest of the cases, the thing spat out arbitrary dictionary words like impale and xylophone and louse and hematoma, and she knew for a fact the xylophone kid had been high as a kite the whole time. Was it a translation issue? Bugs in the software? Some function she didn't understand? Or was the unit just broken? The pronto tester's failure wasn't a huge deterrent to Kelly. After all, fatted out didn't work that well either, but it was an inconvenience. It meant they would have to fabricate test results for the sake of the infomercial, thus walking that fine line between dramatization and false advertising. Kelly knew that walking the line was part of their business, but she still couldn't totally silence the voice that told her she spent every day suckering innocent idiots out of their hard-earned disability money. Most days, though, her work ethic drowned out that voice with shouts of, Do your job! Julio had no such moral qualms. He'd clocked a lot of overtime hours by simply doing his own job well, disconnecting his higher brain and working the editing computer like a maestro at a piano. Sure, I have questions about my job, he once told Kelly. Like, what should I spend my paycheck on this week? New TV or a new stereo? If the thing even worked poorly, she'd have no problem. An instant drug tester would be an immediate and huge seller. Every business in the country would want one. If it really were cheap, easy, and half as accurate as the infomercial might suggest it was. But the pronto tester didn't seem to work at all. She'd even, with some reluctance, administer the test to herself and Julio, but the results, stroke and overtime, respectively, only confirmed her belief that the stupid thing was nothing but a random word generator. But that can't be it, she complained to Julio. So they racked up four hours of time and a half, getting tipsy and giggling on Jack's dime, coming up with increasingly silly explanations for what the device actually did. She started with Psychic Label Maker, to which Julio suggested Masochistic Scrabble Dictionary, which didn't make a ton of sense, but by then it was 11 o'clock and they were buzzed. Kelly came back with Circumstances of One's Conception, and Julio countered with the equally ridiculous Circumstances of One's Demise, with a rueful glance at both the clock and his eerie result slip. Kelly laughed, slowly, given the hour, and closed her laptop, gathered her coat, and went home. Even by the awful standards of the late-night consumer products industry, the very same folks that had gleefully sold the public on hair be and gyno-paste and muffin-magic-extreme, she had to admit that the pronto-tester was a big, red, plastic, stinky turd of a product. As a function of the type of neighborhood that Jack Bog Enterprises was located in, there was a Walmart right across the street. Kelly felt guilty in principle for shopping at Walmart, for some vague liberal reason. But there was literally nothing else but office parks for miles, and it just so happened that the megastore stocked a brand of yogurt she'd been unable to find anywhere else. So when the college kid's sales chatter down the hall became too much to ignore, she closed her laptop, grabbed her sunglasses, and headed across the street. She tried not to look around the store as she marched toward the dairy case, conveniently located on the back wall past just about everything else imaginable. She averted her eyes from the $4.99 DVDs and the 3 for $8 t-shirts. She was mostly successful at avoiding glances into the overflowing carts of people with poor impulse control and felt guilty for the smug sense of superiority that crept in to reward the effort. Halfway between home electronics and furniture, she rounded a corner and was blindsided by housewares. Brightly colored boxes of the fatted-out advanced nutritional system crowded an entire end cap, She'd only just pushed that ridiculous-looking skillet with a spit-valve image out of her head, but here it was again, the packaging blasting Healthful Advantages TM at her in a 100-point yellow type. She whirled away and hid by the food storage bins to catch her breath. She felt chased by a monster. She tried hard, really hard, to do a good job producing her first big campaign for JBE, and fatted out had repaid her by taking over every waking hour of her life. Six months ago, when she was burning out working for Jack as an associate producer, she tried taking her portfolio to Rockefeller and King, the big ad agency, the one with the athletic shoe account and the soda account and the three competing insurance accounts. But they laughed her out of the office and told her to take her weight loss cream and her hair removal spray and her leather repair paste with her. Well, they hadn't said that exactly, but she'd gotten a distinct vibe of contempt from their trendy glasses and carefully tousled haircuts. And they hadn't called back, so what did it matter what they had actually said? And then Fatted Out had come along, and Jack handed her the reins, and she'd buckle down and tried her best to do a good job, the only thing she knew how to do, and she'd knock the ball out of the park. So, this was it now. She was an infomercial producer. She gathered herself, she straightened, and took a breath. She tried to picture the pronto tester on the shelf here in six months, but stalled trying to imagine what the box copy would legally say. Inaccurate drug test, maybe. Or perhaps, random word generator. Ooh, Dolores, have you seen this one? The voice filtered from around the corner, back by the fatted-out boxes. Kelly heard the squeak of shopping cart wheels, the wheeze of labored breaths, the rustle of hands on cardboard box, the clink of pans shifting inside. Then another woman's voice. Look, it's got a valve for draining the oil out. Isn't that clever? I bet Lacey would love one of those for her new apartment. She needs to start eating healthier. What a great idea, came a chirping response. Kelly wanted to round the corner and scream, No, it's just cheap pans that one Chinese company couldn't sell on their own, married with cheap valves that another Chinese company couldn't sell on their own. As the unseen women read each other the hyperbolic statements from the back of the box, statements that Kelly herself had written and revised and erased and rewritten and ultimately approved for the packaging, Kelly felt her cheeks begin to burn. She wanted to shout, I wasn't being serious when I implied it would change your life. It's just something you say in marketing. But instead... She said nothing. "'How's it coming?' Jack asked, grabbing Kelly's shoulders and squeezing. Kelly jumped in her plastic chair, startled, then shrugged his hands away. "'Slow,' she said, standing and crossing the break room to retrieve a mug of hot water from the microwave, opening the door with ten seconds left to go. But it's coming along. She didn't mention that in the last two weeks the only progress she'd made at all had been in her level of anxiety. She'd stalled creatively. Without consistent results, she had no sales angle. Without a sales angle, she had no campaign." The pronto-tester seemed to mock her, its LED, finger divot and serrated mouth forming a leering face that watched her pace a furrow into the carpet. Periodically, it stuck its tongue out to mock her, in the form of another cryptic slip of paper that raised more questions than it answered. As the slips began to accumulate into a terrible mountain of frustration, each new theory dashed by the next result, its blank expressions seemed to her absurdly, maddeningly calm. And other pressing matters had come up for her. Health insurance paperwork, renewing the magazine subscriptions, getting a new cell phone, and transferring her whole phone book. Days had rolled by unmarked, save for her nightly resolution that tomorrow will be more productive. Still, she knew she'd get it done eventually. After all, she was the genius behind Fatted Out. I bet it's gonna be great, Jack grinned. He turned to retrieve a stack of papers from the printer, paging through them, throwing a few away. I could get used to this whole hands-off kind of deal. I mean, don't get me wrong, shipping out skillets takes up most of the day, but I'm working on courting some new clients, drumming up some business. I even got a slogan. Check it out. J.B.E. is going up, up, up. He spread his hands like a presenter on one of his infomercials, his showman instincts kicking in. Came to me in the shower. I'm thinking of having new cards printed. Or just hot, right? You want unorned business card? Absolutely, Kelly said, fumbling with a tea bag, splashing it into the mug, spilling hot water on the counter. How long were you supposed to steep it? Did it get better if you left it in too long? She was bad at tea. I knew it. I knew you'd love it. Jack rubbed his meaty hands together. And here's a little incentive for you. Let me take you behind the scenes. He shuffled through the stack of printouts and produced what looked like an invoice written entirely in Chinese. Take a look at this. I have no idea what that says. Say hello to the proud new owner of 200,000 Pronto Testers, Jack said smugly. Kelly suddenly felt her vision swim. She tried to talk, but her mouth was dry. Reflexively, she sipped her tea, nearly scalding her tongue. Through a haze of steam, she choked you bought out the factory? Every English one they made, Jack beamed. Did I tell you before how those idiots tried to screw me on the fatted out? Cheap bastards quoted me 318 American per unit, something like that. Then, all of a sudden, when I have to fill 10,000 orders in a week, the price mysteriously jumps to 501, trying to screw me over. It's a big difference, she acknowledged. They blamed it on the exchange rate, Jack said, tossing the invoice onto the counter atop the other printouts. The dollar sucks, but not that bad, that fast. In the end, I paid the bill. I mean, I had to. Or that's it for our sales. And we were charging $39.95 plus shipping and handling. But still. Kelly cringed as he popped his knuckles one after the other. The pronto tester is going to do great. I know it will. This, he tapped the Chinese invoice. This is me believing in you, Kel. 200000 now, $2 million tomorrow, $20 million next week. Who knows? This could easily be our careers. Kelly felt a knot settle in her stomach. The possibility of spending an entire career with Jack made her queasy. She took a cautious sip of the tea and thought she felt the steam cloud up inside her skull. Oh, and uh, one other thing. No big deal, he said. Kelly noted a sudden change in his voice. forced casual now. In case you get a call from some lawyer, there's some BS class action suit out there building against fatted out. It's nothing. Gold diggers trying to get a piece. It's always the way when you make it big. He waved his hand dismissively, as if he were all too familiar with the trappings of success. Kelly watched a bead of sweat roll down the back of his neck. They're going after the non-stick coating. Toxic something or other. It's totally baseless. But in case you hear from someone, which you shouldn't, because I've been keeping your name away from all this, I want to make sure we all know the story. He began to tick off points on his fingers. Kelly suddenly had the odd feeling that he'd had to recite this particular list before. JBE has no role in manufacturing our products. We are simply marketers and distributors. JBE has no warranty claims as to the condition or durability of its products. JBE relies on its customers to make determinations of quality prior to purchase. Many thousands of customers have reported no complaints with JBE products in the past. He jerked up to look her in the eye, his red-rimmed gaze belying a deep, sudden intensity that gave Kelly a chill. You got all that? Okay, show me this amazing idea of yours, she told Julio, slumping into the uncomfortable chair beside his editing workstation. Four weeks now and she was maddeningly no closer to a finished product than before, even though Julio always seemed to be working on something. He told her it was just how he filled his days, scrolling through hours of useless footage they'd shot, looking for funny outtakes and recutting words and phrases into bizarre non-sequiturs. He did this a lot during downtime. He said it was how he kept his perspective. She'd even seen glimpses of other projects on his monitor, stuff they'd shot for fatted out, or even older material predating her tenure. Raw footage from campaigns like Hair Glow 5, the hair-sculpting wax made with real bee proteins or the Trade Center, a kid's bank that had unfortunately hit the market in September 2001. She had to admit that Julio had his fake busywork down to a science. Jack could burst in the door at any given time, and Julio would look every bit as productive as his time card claimed he was. Tell me what you think julio said tapping the space bar to start the video playing sappy music swelled on the monitor handsome parents played with beautiful children kelly recognized shots from the contemporary family stock footage collection julio's voice lively and bright rang from the speakers do you suffer from anxiety about the future concerned about what tomorrow may bring are you afraid of dying this is hilarious kelly grinned the pronto tester appeared on the screen in a flash Now the solution to all of life's uncertainty, the machine of death. One of the phone response kids stuck his finger into the device, then held it up with a cheesy smile. A close-up revealed that his test result was skydiving accident. Julio's voice continued. It tells you exactly how you'll leave this earth. Kelly burst out laughing. You sound so serious. We're gonna run this on air, right? Julio deadpanned, stopping a playback with a keystroke. Totally, you just made my job a lot easier. Kelly said, oh man, early lunch for everyone. Julio spun in his chair. Awesome, but I'm still billing the hours. Go for it, it's not my money. Kelly motioned to the computer. Keep playing, how long is it? So far I've got like 32 minutes. Julio laughed at Kelly's gaping expression. It's been a slow couple of weeks. He moved his mouse and queued footage on the video monitor. See, here we've got outtakes from fatted out. These guys are dying from cholesterol. And check this out. He pressed the space bar and they watched a woman in spandex do a series of awkward crunches inside a spring-like contraption. A big red graphic slammed onto the footage. Shoddy exerciser. Kelly doubled over with laughter. The ad-mazing had certainly been the shoddiest exerciser she'd ever seen, though it hadn't stopped JBE from peddling them in no less than three successive infomercials as Jack tried desperately to sell his backstock, Jack's brain would go nuclear if he saw this. You have no idea how much money he lost on that piece of crap. Oh, I have an idea. Julio half-twisted to glance back at Kelly. He seemed to consider adding something else. But a sharp rap on the door silenced him. He whirled back to the computer and queued footage of the pronto tester on the monitor. Jack burst into the room officiously. Kel, quick question. You haven't heard from that lawyer I talked about, have you? About fatted out? Kelly shook her head. No, should I have? No, no, it's fine. But if you do get a call, don't say anything, okay? Let me know right away. He glanced at the monitor and beep. Looks great, coming right along. When do I get to see a cut? Kelly swallowed. Luckily, Julio's complicated timeline on the computer screen gave the impression of progress. Soon. She said, still tweaking. That's why you're gonna go far, Jack said, leaning his bulk on the creaking desk, never satisfied. He thumped the desk twice for emphasis, clapped Kelly heavily on the shoulder, and slammed the door viciously behind him. Kelly and Julio sat there shell-shocked as the echoes of his presence faded. Julio was the first to speak. I am so glad that guy is dumber than I am. Kelly drummed her fingers on the desk nervously. Suddenly she felt stupid, wasteful. How soon do you think we could have a real cut? Julio's new laugh was bitter. You're not serious. Give me a script. Shoot us some footage. He looked at his watch. When is this thing supposed to air? If I cared about that sort of thing, I would be freaking out right about now. Kelly nodded slowly. Yeah, unfortunately, I do care about that sort of thing. The airtime's been bought for weeks. She stood and paced in a tight circle, trying desperately to make all the problems go away just by waving her hands around. After all, nothing else was working. I just can't wrap my head around this stupid thing. All Jack can say is he thinks it's a drug test. Well, guess what? It's clearly not. I can't sell it as a drug test because he's going to get us sued and we'll all be out of a job. Why the hell does he think it's a drug test? She blew loose hair from her face and slumped back into the chair. The whole thing was asinine. She'd even begged him to hire a translation firm and get the schematics translated from Chinese, but he was so paranoid about information leaking to competitors. So she banged her head against the wall for four weeks, and the result was that they were nowhere. But she was the superstar. This was the type of problem superstars were supposed to solve. Well, you know why he's on about drug testing, Julio said, working his chair's pneumatic lift in spurts, becoming shorter inch by hissing inch. The thing does work, as far as that goes. It's just only for him is the problem. He twisted in a circle. Well, and for me, too. Kelly looked up slowly. He'd lost her completely. Back up like ten steps. Julio spoke seriously, confessingly. I... I'm addicted to overtime, Kelly. He buried his head in his hands. I got my eyes on some new rims. They're shiny. So shiny. No, what what do you mean it worked for Jack? Oh, man, you know he tested positive, right? Julio spun back towards his computer, clacking keys like a machine gun. An overflowing email inbox appeared on his screen. Tested himself first day. Cocaine and painkillers. Oh, my God, Kelly said, leaning towards the screen. That makes so much sense. That explains so much. And then she realized what she was looking at. You hacked Jack's email? Julio turned around with a shrug. Not so much hacked as guessed a ridiculously obvious password, he said. I mean, Jack is great. Seriously, it was my first try. That night, she spent six hours drinking beer and reading through Jack's email. She discovered all kinds of stuff in that ill-sorted inbox. He was involved with half a dozen airheaded bimbos from a handful of sleazy dating sites, but that was par for the course. He was continually buying Vicodin from Mexican pharmacies, which was like a puzzle piece fitting firmly into place. And he seemed to have written to everyone he could think of who could shed light on his hypothetical pronto-tester result. Several people from China, plus a bunch of people at various university email addresses. Running a search on the addresses popped up a series of file attachments sent from the Chinese client. She couldn't make much of the actual messages because they largely seemed to refer to phone conversations he'd had with Jack and were written with a command of English best described as, "'Good try.'" But the attachments were English-language research papers, apparently from the American team that had originally developed the C-18 algorithm. She clicked the first one open, eager for any clue as to what the device was actually meant to do. Unfortunately, the papers weren't much easier to read than the manufacturer's fractured English. All the scientific charts and technical jargon left her lost. She did, however, read with interest the list of initial results that C-18 had generated for the research scientists themselves. Water, stroke, like her own result, asleep, and, disturbingly, homicide. For an alcohol addled second, she forgot that Julio's machine of death infomercial had been a joke. She sat very still in the darkness of her living room, letting the implications settle around her like ash from a distant volcano. Stroke sounded like it could be a way to die. Homicide was definitely a way to die. But then she remembered Jack saying that the lead scientists who had drawn water had gone on to die in a plane crash. And with that realization came the reassuring reminder that the pronto tester slips were simply, maddeningly, just random words. Nothing in the research seemed to indicate anything different, although she had to admit she didn't understand much of what it did say. Even still, Jack had clearly gotten really agitated about cocaine and painkillers, and Julio did put in a lot of overtime. And she had been on the crew team in college. Creepy coincidence, right? It had to be, just just logically. To set her third beer, 1 a.m. mind at ease, she scrolled through file after file of lab notes until she found mention of the plane crash. It was a brief note on the very last page describing how the Cessna returning the scientists from a meeting in New Mexico had suffered engine failure over the desert. Following that, she read some sketchy notes about a sudden loss of investment capital and the subsequent termination of the research. Nothing at all about water. She closed the files and paced around the room a while, telling her hands to stop shaking. She popped open another beer when returning to Jack's inbox and was just starting to feel better when she read about the lawsuit. Forget building. The class action suit was built. Over a hundred people claiming the nonstick coating on the fatted-out pans had flaked apart above 150 degrees Fahrenheit, which wouldn't have been so bad by itself, except that the coating was also apparently highly toxic. She felt her gut constrict as she read a message from Jack to his attorney, idly suggesting that she, as producer on the campaign, should have conducted scientific trials or something on the pants to determine their safety. The logic being, if it were Kelly's fault that JBE sold shoddy pans, then, conveniently, it couldn't be Jack's fault. Luckily for Kelly, the attorney seemed to think that the excuse would stick about as well as the coating on the pans. Jack was pissed. She sat frozen for several minutes, unable to stop her mind from reeling. He was even more of an ass than she thought. Who knew what else she'd still find, lurking in that digital Pandora's box of malice and despair? More plots to undermine her that she should know about? She kept digging and found a message from two weeks ago in which Marty at Rockefeller-King.com had written, Dear Mr. Bog, I would love to speak with you about the creative team involved in the Fatted Out campaign, which I understand has been very successful for your company. Jack had responded in his typical idiom, Thanks, homegrown here at JBE. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Just kidding. Rockefeller and King had come looking for her. Jack hadn't told her and, true to his word, hadn't even mentioned her name to them. She ran out of beer. When she woke up, her first thought was about her pounding headache. The second was about Rockefeller and King, a potential lifeline out of JBE. And she had to get word to them before the news broke about the fatted-out lawsuit. She tried to remember if Marty was one of the tousle-haired hipsters who'd scoffed at her in the interview. But that was so long ago, she couldn't remember any of their names. She called Rockefeller and King. A receptionist answered, Marty was out. Would she like to leave a message? Yes, that would be great. Her heartbeat drowned out the ringing. A youthful recorded voice informed her that he was on vacation for the next two weeks. Damn. The beep caught her off guard. She licked her lips and launched in. When she hung up, she walked in a circle and repeated everything she'd said. Then she revised it, mentally backspaced over it, and made it better. For herself. She almost called back, but what would she say? Who would she talk to? She couldn't think. Too much to consider. Too much to manage. The pronto tester. Damn it. She drove to JBE with so many things rattling in her mind that by the time she arrived, she'd already forgotten the trip itself. She parked by the planter without noticing that the lot was mostly empty. The college kids had been laid off one by one as fatted-out sales had slowed. No blast of cold air greeted her at the front door. A far-off buzz betrayed a fan oscillating in Jack's office. The folding tables where the college kids had worked were empty. The rows of computers were dark. She found a cardboard box in the break room and methodically emptied her cubicle. It took her a while. She was surprised to find that it was difficult to do. She gently pulled a thumbtack from the carpeted wall and took down her calendar. This Thursday had been circled in red for weeks now. Shipped to network affiliates, it said. Her conscience screamed at itself to get to work, then screamed back to burn this place to the ground. She closed her eyes and tipped the scales with a mental slideshow of Jack's constant awfulness, trying to recall every leering touch, every shady business deal, every pointless hour of weekend overtime selling junk to idiots. The lawsuit, trying to sell her out. Her hatred frothed and roiled. Every muscle in her body wanted to strike something. Hey! Julio's voice almost threw her into the cubicle wall. She snapped her head up and nearly knocked over a standing lamp. Julio ducked back around the corner, lifting his hands in mock surrender. Sorry, didn't mean to scare you. It's, it's all right. Kelly plucked a soft black rubber band from her desk, the last refuge of her belongings. She pulled her hair back, tugging it tight, unable to do it any other way. Moving to a new office? Julio asked slowly, looking around, reluctant to voice the other, more awful possibility. Something like that, she said. She struggled for something to say, but couldn't think of anything appropriate, so she turned back to the desk behind her, weighing the advantages of taking the stapler home with her. He shrugged. Look, I've been reading his email for years, he said. I know it hits you hard at first, getting the rock-hard truth of how crappy this business really is. He looked down the hall, not meeting her eyes. Then I looked at my time card, you know? I'm happy for you, she choked, and rushed past him down the hall into the office's one small bathroom, hearing his half-apology echo behind her before she closed the door and lost it. It all came out at once. The long hours, the awful productions, the constant harassment, the lies and manipulation and good old boy attitude that she thought she'd been too smart to fall for. Jack had played her, she knew, giving her rope to hang herself, then reaping the benefits when she hadn't, taking the praise and the profits for himself. She wanted to storm into his office and, and and what, staple him to death? She knew she couldn't face him. He'd launch into some buttery, enthusiastic monologue, and she'd walk out there a half hour later having signed a five-year contract or something. If nothing else, he was good at what he did. He was a salesman, through and through. If she could just crawl out to her car and leave this place behind, she decided that would be victory enough for her. Leave his pronto-tester campaign high and dry. Leave him wondering. It wasn't brave. It wasn't cathartic, but it would get her out of here. She reached for the knob, but before she touched it, the door crashed open and Jack almost bowled her over. Oh, door wasn't locked. Didn't know you were in here, he squeaked through a face full of red tissues. His bloodshot eyes widened around the clumped mass, a crimson ribbon suddenly tracing a line down his chin and spotting onto his rumpled shirt. She gulped, ducking out into the hallway as he slammed the door. She heard the water turn on, then he hacked, blew his nose, coughed, then blew his nose again. She realized she was staring at the closed door. Then she realized that this was her chance to escape. Julio was waiting by the front door with her box of stuff in hand. Without a word, he held the door open for her, and they walked across the parking lot side by side. You sure everything's in here, he said. Sorry, I just grabbed it. Thanks, she said. Once the box was in her car's back seat, they stood still for a few seconds, knowing this was goodbye. I know you need to do this, Julio said. She nodded, but realized there was more he wanted to say. He seemed to chew on the words for a while, eventually coming up with... Pronto Tester is still due on Thursday. So run your spot, she said. The machine of death. Cut it down to 2830, put a blue card on the back. Heck, record a narrator. Make it look good. Make it look serious. He looked up at her. You really want to put me out of a job? It's nothing personal, she said. Not with you, anyway. You'd find another gig. Julio shook his head. Look, I understand you're mad. I read those emails. I know how he screwed you over. You knew? Great, she spat. Thanks for telling me about it. She opened the car door and slung herself into the driver's seat. The faster she could leave this place behind, the better. Wait, he said. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not... I mean, look, a lot of vile stuff goes on. After a while, you just stop noticing. It was nothing personal. She started the car. So do it, she said. We're on the spot. Say it was my idea. I don't care. I'll take the blame if it means... There it was. There was the thought that she'd been dancing around. If it means it brings him down brings the whole company down. It was said. It was out loud. It was real. Suddenly it even seemed possible. I got a good thing going here, Julio said lamely. She felt something weird. She glanced at the rearview mirror and realized she was smiling. It would be malicious to air the joke spot. It would be fun. You know what you want to do, she said. Just make sure you cast your check first. It had been so long since she had this kind of time to herself that she felt paralyzed. She paced her living room, waiting for anything. A text message from Julio. A call from Rockefeller and King. Any indication that she'd done the right thing, that her decision had made any sort of difference at all to anyone. Jack called. She didn't answer. He called again. She sent in a voicemail. She had trouble sleeping, so she bought more beer and spent the night sending press releases to every news outlet she could think of, promoting The Machine of Death. New from the makers of Fatted Out. When she didn't come back to JBE the next day, or the day after that, or the day after that, Jack eventually stopped calling. She tried accessing Jack's email again, but the password didn't work anymore. Her heart seized in her chest at the thought that he had discovered her intrusion. She called Rockefeller and King three times, but each time hung up before the receptionist answered. The weekend passed in fitful bursts of anxiety, and she heard nothing from any quarter. She presumed that Julio had either improbably grown a pair and shipped the spot as is to the affiliates, burning the place down, as it were, Or that Jack and Julio had spent a frantic, sleepless 72 hours preparing an all-new 28-minute infomercial. Either way, she felt guilty. She went to Walmart to buy yogurt and saw fatted-out still on the shelf, toxic coating and all, and it renewed her fervent hope that Jack would burn in hell. Her phone woke her up, and she answered it groggily without looking at the caller ID. Kel, can you please come in today? Please. Jack said. There was something different about his voice. He wasn't demanding, pleading, or shouting. He was just asking politely. It threw her off guard. She thought about asking how things were, but didn't. She tried to think of an excuse, but couldn't. Then the call was over and her conscience said okay before the rest of her had even woken up yet. Moron! You are a moron! She shouted at herself in the shower. Can you please come in today? Please? Oh, you son of a bitch! She chanted mockingly to her shoes. Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! She told her mirror as she pulled out of her driveway. She turned on the radio, and the voice that greeted her almost made her wipe out her mailbox. For the moment, she thought she was still asleep and dreaming. Get the ultimate peace of mind from one tiny machine that fits anywhere, a jaunty voice told her. It was Mark, the announcer they used for every infomercial. He could sound excited about anything. Order now and we'll pay the first payment of $29.97. You only pay shipping. Then, a studio full of laughter. We're going to get one for the studio right away, the morning zoo DJ said. His dimwit partner chimed in with an old man voice. Make sure to get the rush delivery, he squeaked. I don't know how long I have. When she got to JBE, the parking lot was full. Inside the office, college kids chattered into headsets. She tried to walk to Jack's office, but her feet led her the other way, towards Julio's edit bay, towards a friendly face. Julio wasn't in yet, but something weird was definitely going on. After a second of nervous fidgeting in the hall, she ducked into Julio's room, closed the door, and woke up his computer. Blogs were buzzing. Clips from Julio's joke spot were featured videos on YouTube and littered the Reddit front page. The apa had cribbed from her press release, which meant the major outlets and networks would pick up the story in the coming week. Everyone had an opinion. Was the machine of death just a hilariously bad commercial or a subversive viral marketing gimmick? Or maybe, just maybe, something more. A spot-on satire of infomercial idiocy, made better by the fact that there apparently is an actual product you can buy, wrote a columnist in Adweek magazine. Raffle, I totally buy one, a YouTube commenter added. And then this from an article on Slashdot. According to patent records, this JBE product, from the folks who brought you Paste is a, actually a repackaging of a genuine medical device developed by a UCLA team who never found an investor. It's one of those who-knows-what-really-happens scenarios. The head of the project died in a plane crash, allegedly after meeting with the Defense Department, just before he was set to unveil the device at MD&M East, the big medical equipment trade show in New York. It doesn't sound too far-fetched to think that this is a case of sabotage that nobody cared enough to investigate or is being prevented from investigating because according to the NTSB report, the cause of the plane crash was water contamination of the fuel system, something every pilot is trained to check during pre-flight. Kelly's eyes froze on the word water. She felt the blood drain from her face. She could still see that research paper hidden away in Jack's email, the one that contained the lead scientist C18 result. Water. This was nuts. The Pronto Tester, the machine of death, was a stupid, cheap device that didn't work. Just like Hair Be didn't actually remove hair, just like Paste didn't actually rejuvenate genital skin, and just like Fatted Out didn't actually replace healthy eating and exercising. No matter what, Mark assured the consumer in calm, earnest tones. Couldn't actually believe the spot. They must think the spoof infomercial was a joke, postmodern geek humor. The radio DJs and the kids on YouTube wanted pronto testers to go at their Ninja Turtle toys and Super Mario emblazoned hoodies. But if Julio had somehow been right, if those little paper slips could say water and somehow mean water contamination in an airplane's fuel tank, then someday, maybe soon, those blogs would go into overtime. And Jack's Chinese warehouse would sell out in a day and a half, and the box would be reverse-engineered by everybody, everywhere, and there would be lawsuits and government inquiries, and everything would go to hell and nobody would be laughing. A machine to predict death. (laughs) The most ludicrous idea in the world. But people had bought fatted out. She stood up and closed her eyes and could picture bright red boxes lined up at Walmart, crammed into a million shopping carts. Machine of death, the boxes would say, now with potassium and everyone buy ten of them. She opened her eyes and turned around and Jack was standing in the doorway. Are you hot? he asked. You're sweating. Here, let me hit the AC. He walked into the room and brushed past her on the way to the thermostat. She felt her skin prickle. He turned back to her, standing closer than normal conversation required, searching her face for any indication of what. After a long moment of silence, he spoke in a dramatic whisper. I was right to trust you, he said. You've made me a lot of money. You've made us a lot of money. She burst into tears, and of course, he swept her into his arms. She hated it. She hated him touching her, making her flush, making her tense. But at that moment, she really did need a hug. For more stories about the machine of death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share license. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Nika Harper. I make people smile on the internet. Thanks for listening.